this morning. On Sunday mornings, as most of you know, we are doing a verse-by-verse study in John's Gospel, so we're going to continue that study. We're about halfway through the Gospel of John. This morning we'll be in chapter 11, begin reading at verse 1. We're going to cover verses 1 through 37 of John chapter 11, so if you'll turn there, and if you need a Bible to follow along with us, to read with us, just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you a Bible, and we're going to study God's Word together this morning. So John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 37. Again, we're about halfway through John's Gospel. It's been an incredible, wonderful uh, study. And uh, it's going to be very rich over the next several weeks as we continue studying God's Word together in John's Gospel. Again, I want to remind you on Wednesday, we are in the book of Job in the Old Testament. And be sure to join us in that study as well as we embark on um, a very uh, important study of the Old Testament. But this morning, John chapter 11, we'll begin reading that verse 1. Now, since we've been reading and studying from chapter 7, Jesus has been in Jerusalem. He came into Jerusalem in chapter 7 during the fall, during what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. That takes place in the September-October time frame. And Jesus was ministering, declaring to be the light of the world. And we know that Jesus at that time, only six months away from going to the cross, which would be the next spring at Passover. Well, now as we progress, we see that Jesus at this time in Jerusalem, it's wintertime during the Feast of Lights or Dedication. And we talked about what is the Feast of Lights, what that was all about, uh, commemorating the the Maccabeans and revolting against that Syrian king, Antiochus Epiphanes. And we know that they celebrate it today known as Hanukkah. So it takes place in the wintertime. And if you ever go to Jerusalem in the wintertime, in late December and January, it, it's a little bit like us. It's, it's cold, the days are, are short, and it's dark, and they get snow there. And Jesus here is in Jerusalem during that time. But the Jews, the religious leaders at this time, their hearts are cold. And their hearts are very dark right now. Because they didn't believe in him and the claims that he was making, that he was singularly and very uniquely the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. He would declare that I am the door, the door to salvation. If you believe in me, you will be saved. And the sheep, my sheep know my voice and they follow after me and They have life through me, but you don't because you don't believe in me. And Jesus had already warned them that if you do not believe that I am he, then you will die in your sins. So Jesus talking as he had used that analogy of sheep and him being the good shepherd and you're my sheep, you're in the father's hands, you're in my hands and no one will pluck you out. And the father and I are one. And in that statement that he made, as we read last week in chapter 10, that, that would once again very much anger the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And it would bring them to the point where, once again, they would pick up rocks to stone him. Remember in chapter 8, after Jesus made that declaration, that before Abraham was, I am, claiming to be God. They picked up rocks to throw at him, but he would pass through the midst. And then in chapter 9, of course, the whole chapter was devoted to Jesus healing that man that was born blind. And then in chapter 10, again, they're, they're confronting Jesus. Their, their opposition is mounting against Jesus, of the religious leaders. 
and Jesus would declare that the Father and I are one, and they picked up stones at that time to stone him. And we know that Jesus said, for what works do you stone me? And they said, not for any works, but you being man claim to be God. So the religious leaders, keep in mind at this time, they're very, very much upset at Jesus. They believe he's committed blasphemy for claiming to be God. They're planning, they're plotting to see how they can put him to death. But Jesus, in chapter 10, as they wanted to stone him, would pass through their midst. They could not stone him at that time because his hour had not yet come. So we concluded chapter 10 with Jesus going to the Jordan where John the Baptist first ministered. And Jesus would remain there for a time as he stops ministering to the nation for a short period. And he's gearing up to go to the cross, which is only a couple months away. And as he's there with his disciples, we're going to see that word's going to come to him that his friend Lazarus is sick and at the point of death. Father, we ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. As we get into this familiar chapter of, of Lazarus being raised from the dead, Lord, we see that Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life. And Lord, this morning, I pray that it would be more than just theology, but it would be reality in our hearts. And, and Lord, that we know that we have hope through Jesus, that he is our only hope. He is the only hope for anyone, that those who believe in him. And Father, what my prayer is, is that your word would touch the heart of every individual that is here as we see that Jesus truly is the light of the world, the good shepherd, but also the resurrection and the life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in verse 1 of chapter 11, we read, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. So for the first time in John's gospel, we are introduced to two sisters named Mary and Martha, and then also to their brother Lazarus. Now, this family is no stranger to the Gospels. We know that uh, during Jesus' earthly ministry that this family was very special to Jesus. They had become friends of Jesus, and they believed in him. They were devoted to him. And not only did they open up their home to Jesus, as we see in the Gospels, but also they would open up their hearts to him as well. And as we read in this chapter, we're going to see that sickness here and, and death and sadness will come to this family. But Jesus will come to prove that truly life comes through Jesus Christ, that he is the resurrection and the life, and he will raise up Lazarus from the dead. Again, a chapter that perhaps many of you are very familiar with. But to set the stage of what uh, entails in this incredible and amazing miracle that Jesus does this family here of one brother and two sisters, they, first of all, live, as we are told, in the town of Bethany. It's located just a few miles from Jerusalem. It's on the east side of the Mount of Olives. Um, as you go to Jerusalem, there was the temple, and then the Kidron Valley, and the Mount of Olives. And then on the east side would be uh, where the town of Bethany was. And Jesus would go to Bethany oftentimes when he was in Jerusalem, and he would stay there, and then he would walk to Jerusalem the next day. But remember that as we concluded, as I mentioned to you, chapter 10, that Jesus is not in the area of Jerusalem. He has gone to the east to the Jordan River. He's about 25 miles away from uh, Bethany here, and he's with his disciples there. Now, Lazarus is only mentioned in this chapter of John, and then briefly in the next chapter. 
Mary and Martha are mentioned more often in the Gospels. For example, in Luke chapter 10, it tells us that Martha was characterized as a servant, as a worker. She was very practical and energetic as she served and kept the house. Mary was one that, as we know, we see her as a worshiper. She was the one that really had an incredible love for the Lord and delighted to sit at the feet of the Lord. And she will be the one that will anoint Jesus with fragrant oil as we will see uh, her do that in the next chapter. Matter of fact, John's going to mention that event here in the next verse. But what interests me about Mary is this, is that not only her devotion to the Lord, but notice that Bethany was known as the city of Mary. And I think that the quality of love and devotion and just inner beauty that she had for the Lord captivated the whole city. So it would be known as the city of Mary. And I just want to encourage us here this morning that as you have devotion and a love for the Lord and as you're committed to the Lord, that it will captivate people's heart in your family, uh, those that you work alongside of, uh, those that perhaps are in your neighborhood, uh, those who know you, you can captivate their hearts as they see that you have a heart for the Lord. And that's what happened with Mary here. Her, her devotion to the Lord touched the hearts of those in that city to where it would be known as the town of Mary. And we read as we continue uh, reading about Mary and Martha in Lazarus, it was that Mary, verse 2, that who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So these two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, and, and they said that the one whom you love is sick. They did not say, Lazarus, uh, the one from Bethany, he is sick. The message didn't come, uh, Lazarus, the, the brother of Martha and Mary, that he is sick. Uh, he is the one whom you love. The one whom you love is sick. And this message that would be sent to Jesus again would take at least, think about this, they're traveling by foot. He's about 25 miles away in the Jordan Valley there at the Jordan River. And it would take at least a day and a half, two days for that message to reach Jesus. And I wonder if they thought that when Jesus received that message, if he would come immediately. But we read that he doesn't. In verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So Jesus gets word. Lazarus is sick. And Jesus' response here is an interesting one because he says that it is a sickness that is not unto death. And then he stays for a couple more days before leaving to go to Bethany, to go to Mary and Martha. Matter of fact, we're going to see that Lazarus was already dead by the time that Jesus gets there. So when he gets this message here about his friend Lazarus, Lazarus has probably already died. He probably has just died. And Jesus says, this sickness is not unto death. So was Jesus mistaken? Was he confused? Was he wrong in saying this? Of course not. And Jesus, as we continue reading here, we're going to see that Jesus, before he gets to Bethany, and when he gets to Bethany, that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. 
So with this message getting to him, he stays two days. It takes another two days to get to Bethany. So Lazarus has probably just died. But we see that he's going to say that Lazarus is asleep. And, and he is there asleep. He's dead, but I'm going to awake him. In verse 4 here, this sickness is not unto death. But he says, for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified. Jesus knew what the end result is going to be, and that is he's going to resurrect Lazarus from the grave. Something else that I think is worth noting here in the text that we read, it reads that Jesus loved this family. We've already read twice that it's been noted that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary and he loved Martha. And he gets word that Lazarus is sick, the one whom he loved. And he loved his family. He loved his sisters. But he would stay at the, the Jordan for two more days. Why? Because he is working for the perfect time to go. He is doing the will of the Father. Jesus knew the Father's will, that he would go and resurrect Lazarus in his timing and according to his will, so that God should be glorified. And I just wonder what Mary and Martha would be thinking at this time. Look at it at their perspective. The messenger leaves. They're, they're watching their brother Lazarus get sicker and sicker, and he's getting weaker and weaker. And it's like, this is serious. We need to, to get Jesus. Oh, why couldn't he be around? You need to go and, and, and find him and get this message that Lazarus is sick. And by the time the messenger leaves, it would be about that time when Lazarus would die. And, and the message comes to Jesus. And they're probably wanting Jesus to show up right away. And they put Lazarus in the tomb, and it's been a day. It's been two days. It's been three days. It comes to the fourth day, and they're waiting for Jesus to show up. And those sisters, as well as Lazarus, are going to learn a very important lesson that we need to learn. And that is you might want to mark in verse 5 of your text that it says that he loved them. I don't think it's any accident that John was inspired to, to slip this verse in before verse 6, that he delayed in coming to them. And I want us to know something that is very, very important that we need to always keep in mind as we journey through life, and that is that the Lord's delays are not his denials, that the Lord's delays are not his rejection of you. Mary and Martha at this time could have been thinking, does he really care about us? Does he really love us? I mean, we sent the messenger to him that took a couple days, and he hasn't shown up yet. And we've already buried Lazarus, and where is he? Does he really care about us? Is Lazarus really his friend? Is he really devoted to us? Does he really love us and see us and care about us? And those are the thoughts that we can have when we're in a situation that seems to be dying that seems to be getting weaker. Lord, I need you to work now. And his delays, what we think is his delays, we begin to think, Lord, do you really love me? And do you really see me? Did you get the message? This is urgent. Aren't you hearing my prayers? Are you ignoring me? Don't you care about me? And Jesus' delay is not really a delay. It would seem like it to them. And oftentimes when we want God to work and we expect it to be done 
now or today, and we want to see that, that work of God in our life, it seems like that the Lord is delaying, but it's not really a delay. But God is working in His perfect timing. And the Lord loves us, and we need to remember that. And God is going to work in a way that He would be glorified, and God's going to be revealed in, in a marvelous, incredible way. And I know that in my own life, that I've called on the Lord, and there has been a delay, or what I perceive to be a delay, and I wonder, Lord, does your love remain? Do you even care? And I've come to understand, and I know from God's word, and even from this chapter here, that, Lord, your love does remain. John is inspired to write, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, but he remained at the Jordan for another two days, and then he would come, and they're going to see the glory of God, the faithfulness of God, and the goodness of God in due time and in God's time. And perhaps you're here this morning, and you're waiting on the Lord to resurrect a situation or a circumstance that is dead. And I want you to know that he loves you. And he sees you, and he hears you. And if you're wondering, where are you, Lord? Why don't you work? You wait on him, just as we read in the psalm this morning, waiting on the Lord, and he's going to establish you. And you're going to see him working in his time, and you're going to see God working in an incredible way to see the glory of God in whatever situation that you may be in today. But remember that his delays are not his denials. And his delays are not his rejection of you. So after staying at the Jordan for two more days, we read in verse 7, Then after this he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. So the disciples of Jesus are, are showing concern here. Hey, you're planning to go back to Judea, to Jerusalem, in, in the area of Jerusalem? Remember, the religious leaders, the Jews, are wanting to stone you. They're very upset at you. They want to put you to death. And essentially, Jesus is saying, don't worry. Hey, there's 12 hours in a day before the night falls. And it's still daylight. There's work to do. It's not night yet. And the night would come soon enough because, again, in just a few weeks, in a couple months, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. And he's going to end up going to Calvary's cross as he will be handed over to the chief priests and elders. And they will put him on trial and then hand him over to the Romans where they will crucify him, where he dies for sinful humanity. And as he was on that cross, darkness covered the land for three hours. But Jesus is saying the night has not come yet. I'm going to go to Bethany and do the work of my father. I'm going to go to Bethany and I'm going to raise up Lazarus that God may be glorified through the Son of God. But until that time of my hour, the Jews could not touch him. His hour had not yet come. And I want to encourage all of us this morning because there is daylight for you and for me. It's still day. It's still time to work. There's things that we can do. The Bible says that as it's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. So we have an appointment with death. Moses would write in Psalm 90 that, Lord, teach us to number our days. 
David would write in the Psalms that my time is in your hand. So there has been given to us, uh, that is, a, a certain amount of time that you and I are going to be here in this life, in this world, and we know that the Lord, that we're in his hands, and as it is daylight, it is opportunity for you and I to work. And that's what Jesus is saying to these guys. Hey, don't worry about those religious leaders. My time hasn't come yet. It's still daylight. The night's going to come later, but right now I need to go and do the work of the Lord. And what I want us to realize this morning is that there's still work to do, and it's not too late for you. Because what my prayer is, is that you're not wasting your days. In that, you're not interested in doing the work of the Lord. You're not interested in sharing. You're not interested in praying for people. You're not interested in doing the things of God. But it's not too late because it's still daylight. The night hasn't come. That time will come for every single one of us. Our life will come to an end. And when it comes to an end, what is it that we've done for the Lord? And He desires to use us in a wonderful, powerful way. You know, one of the things that, that we talk about is serving the Lord. And we brought three young ladies up here that are going to go to the mission field. But here's the thing I, I want to remind you of. Every single one of us are in the mission field. And you may not be able to go overseas right now, or time or, or finances doesn't enable you to do that. Uh, but here's the thing. When we leave this building, every single one of us are in the mission field. To the people who are linked to you in your life, at the workplace, to your family, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your neighbors, whoever that you know and have contact with. And it is daylight and it's still time for you and I to be able to be a blessing to others and do the work of the Lord. So be encouraged and be praying and be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. And one of the verses that I really go back to oftentimes, and it's a promise that I hold dear to my heart, is what Paul would write in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us, that is the Lord, that he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to bring that work to completion for you and for me and for this church corporately. So it's still daylight. Be sensitive to the leading of the Lord and what he wants to do in your life. And Jesus is going to do the will of the Father. He's going to go to Bethany. In verse 11, these things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. And however, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So as they're making their way, making that climb from the Jordan Valley up to Bethany, uh, Lazarus would have already been placed in the burial tomb. It was customary, and it still is for the most part for Jews, that they buried their dead within 24 hours. And Jesus tells the disciples that Lazarus is asleep. I'm going to go and wake him up. And the disciples didn't understand. They're thinking, oh, if he sleeps, he's going to get well. You know, he needs his rest. He needs to get better. And now Jesus says that Lazarus is dead. He's not sleeping. And verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So Jesus would know the outcome, how this story is going to unfold. And I'm glad, as he says, that I wasn't there for the purpose of, of people believing. 
and faith blossoming. And lives are going to be touched and changed. And I'm going to prove that I am the resurrection and the life. And then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas, who of course is the one that oftentimes we know him as doubting Thomas, right? And we're going to see that in John chapter 20. After the resurrection of Jesus, Thomas was doubting the reports of Jesus being seen, that, that he was alive until Jesus actually appeared to him. And here in John chapter 11, Thomas is called the twin. Now, the scripture does not tell us who his twin is. The spirit chose to leave his name absent from the word of God. But could it be, just a thought or a consideration, that Thomas's twin is not mentioned here who he is because each one of us could really be Thomas' twin. Each one of us, we can have those times in which we doubt and we waver and we have times of questioning. But let us not just know Thomas as the doubting one because in this chapter we see him as the devoted one. He says to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. He shows real courage and guts here. The other guys were saying, hey, we don't know if we want to go in that region again. Remember, they want to kill you, Lord. The Jews are upset at you. And Thomas says, let us go and let us just die. I think it takes real courage today for Christians to say that I'm going to be devoted to the Lord and I'm going to be walking with the Lord. And I'm going to stand for the Lord. And it's going to take more courage as we see that the world is coming against Christians more and more and more. Wednesday night we talked about this, didn't we? On Wednesday night we talked about how, again, how our brothers and sisters over in the Middle East are, are being killed for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're being told either renounce your faith or you're going to be beheaded. Or you're going to be executed. And we're seeing mass killings of Christians in Syria and Iraq and in other parts of the world, even in Africa. And it takes real courage for those Christians to stand and to be devoted to him. And what about us? I believe even us in our nation, as we have freedoms to worship, that it's going to be those freedoms more and more are going to be taken away. It very possibly could happen. We read that article how in Houston that pastors are being subpoenaed. They hand over their sermons. And it's going to become more and more difficult for you and I to stand for the Lord without being persecuted or come down upon or being criticized. Because we see our society, our nation, even here becoming more hostile towards the things of the Lord. We need to be strong and courageous. And the way to be strong and courageous, as the Bible tells us, is be grounded in the Word of God. Stay close to the Lord. Be praying for that strength. You know, I was reading something, and, and I don't mean to be critical uh, of what other ministries are doing, but they're having a, a, um, you know, a big seminar on marriage and, and you know, licensed counselors and all of this. And one of them is... You know, as, as reading about it, her profile is to help, you know, people find their inner strength. I think inner strength, I don't have hardly any inner strength at all. If I had to rely on my strength, I need to rely on the Lord's strength. 
He's the one that makes us strong. He's the one that, that brings courage to us. He's the one that holds us up and establishes us and sets our feet upon the rock. The psalm that we read. So draw close to him and be devoted to him. And Thomas is that way. He's saying, you know what? Let's just go. I'm devoted to you, Lord, and if we go and die, so what? So Jesus, first of all, he asked us to die, but there's a dying to self, didn't he? He said that if you want to be my disciples, pick up your cross, die to self, and follow me. And we live in a day and age where dying to self is not a popular thing. But rather in the church, it's all about self. And Thomas here was willing to go and die for the Lord, with the Lord, as they are getting closer to Bethany. And then verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had just joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So here's Mary and Martha, Lazarus. Uh, they must have been very, very special uh, being a blessing to the people around them because it says that many came to bring comfort to these two sisters. When Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been in a tomb for four days. Now, why would Jesus wait for four days? We don't know for sure. The scripture doesn't say. But for four days, that's a long time. It is interesting. There's one commentator that was saying that perhaps suggesting that there uh, was a well-known Jewish superstition of that day that said that the soul stayed near the grave for three days, hoping to return to the body. Therefore, it was accepted that after four days that there was absolutely no hope of resuscitation. Again, that was a superstition. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to you and to me very clearly that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. That when our life ends here, when we breathe our la last, that immediately we're with the Lord. And to be in His presence, in the glory of the Lord. There is no soul sleep. There's no waiting around or any of those things. There is immediately the presence of the Lord. But be assured of that. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Remember Paul when he was writing to the Philippian church? He said, you know, as he's wondering, am I going to be executed? He said, to, to stay here is, is for your benefit, but for me to die is gain, to go be with the Lord. We know that Jesus said to the thief on the cross, before the sun is set, you'll be with me in paradise. So there's no soul sleep. There, there's none of that. There is the presence of the Lord, and we're not going to want to come back because it's so glorious. So that's what God's word says. So why he waited four days, we don't know. But again, as he says, that the glory of God may be worked and, and, and manifested and seen. So here comes Jesus. And, and notice here, Martha, as she gets word in verse 20, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now, it was protocol. It was customary that if it wasn't your husband, that, um, you know, you wouldn't go you know, if a rabbi or teacher or whoever it was until you were called for. And so it was proper for them to wait until they heard that Jesus was calling for them. That's what we're going to see with Mary. But Martha here, she breaks tradition. She breaks protocol. She just, she hears Jesus is coming. He isn't even in town yet. She makes a beeline right for him. I think that Martha here has more the personality of Peter. Peter was kind of that way, wasn't he? 
He was the kind of guy that would just charge out and break tradition. So I think that Martha and Peter are kind of the same personalities. Mary and John would have the same personalities because John would lay his head, as we're going to see, on the chest of Jesus, hearing the heartbeat of deity there in that upper room, just desiring to worship him. Uh, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, as he inserts that in his gospel here. He, he's like Mary, who's a worshiper. She stays in the house in verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So Martha in her grieving, I don't think that she's upset at the Lord or rebuking the Lord here, but just expressing, if you had been here, everything would be okay. Lazarus would still be with us. And Jesus said to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming to the world. So Martha, Lazarus is going to rise again. She says, yeah, I know. And I just wonder if she's thinking, I know the theology. I know that, um, you know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last days. But you see, the theology that we know and the truth that we know, that we want to make it sure that we have it in our hearts, that it's a reality for us. And that's what Jesus is doing with, with Martha here, just drawing her closer to himself. It, it's not just theology. It's me personally. Believe in me. And believing in me, you'll never die because I am the resurrection and the life. And here is the fifth of the seven statements of I am made by Jesus in this gospel. I am the resurrection and the life. Death is something that people fear. People in the world Death is something that they fear. And if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they should be fearful. Because it is only through the Lord Jesus Christ that there is life. And we have opportunity to express that to others and to give that truth to others, that you don't have to fear death because the one who came and died for you is the resurrection and the life. That he went to the cross to die for your sins. And he rose from the grave and he defeated sin and death. And he's the one that gives life, eternal life to those who believe in him. Do you believe he is saying to Martha that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that, Martha? And she makes three great statements of faith, that you are the Christ, number one, the anointed one, the Messiah. Secondly, the Son of God, the title of Messiah. You are God is what she's saying. And that thirdly, you have come to this world from heaven. And it really was in a remarkable statement of faith while some of the apostles were still wrestling with these things, as we will see when we get to the upper room discourse. But we read in verse 28, when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. So she is keeping more with custom, with protocol. 
until she was called for, then she would go to Jesus. In verse 30, now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. And then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. A couple things here. Mary, she's very special, isn't she? And I'll tell you why I believe that she had such a devoted love and heart for the Lord. Is because where do we see her in the scriptures? We see her at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, when this family opened up their home to Jesus, where was she? She was at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. She was resting in him in the quietness of their home, in the good times. And here in the bad times, where do you see her? Again, she's at the feet of Jesus. So Mary is one that either in the good times, the quiet times, or in the difficult times, she positions herself at the feet of Jesus. Oftentimes what can happen with you and me is, is we'll be at the feet of Jesus in the good times, Lord. Oh, Lord, you're so good. I, I love you. You're working. I'll be in church. I'll, I'll be devoted to going. I'll, I'll serve you. I'll go to Bible study. But then all of a sudden, difficulty comes, and a tendency can be to begin to pull away from the Lord. Again, maybe some of those doubts come into us. Lord, do you see me? Do you hear me? Do you really love me? And it's in those times, especially when we're going through difficulties and loss and, and hard times, that we need to draw close to the Lord, continue to be there at the feet of Jesus being devoted to Him. Now, sometimes the opposite happens. Sometimes in the good times, people draw you know, uh, or push away from the Lord. Hey, it's good. Everything's going well. And they put it in cruise control. And it's only in the bad times when they'll come and sit at the feet of Jesus. And we don't want to be a crisis Christian. Now, here's the good news. We can come to the Lord in the good times and in the bad times. But here's something that we learn from Mary here. I want to be more like her, the one who's recorded and known in Scripture as devoted to the Lord, a worshiper of the Lord, because we see her at the feet of Jesus in the good times and in the bad times. And you will find that sitting in good times, Luke chapter 10, or in the sorrowful times, John chapter 11, if you're one that just sit at his feet at all times, that you too will be like Mary. And you'll become a lover of God. But notice something here very quickly here, that she fell down at his feet, and, and what did she say to him? She said the same thing that her sister said to him. Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this tells me something, that they had a love for the Lord, they shared about the Lord, and consequently, they spoke the same things. Isn't it amazing how you'll talk to brothers and sisters and they'll speak the same thing? As you go and you seek godly counsel or you're in that godly conversation and, and you're thinking, man, that brother, that sister said the same thing. You know, this week, this is the second time. Because as we grow in the Word of God, what you're going to find is, is that we're going to speak the same things. We're going to speak, in other words, the truth of God's Word. And we're going to give God's Word to others, and you continue to do that. And, and you're going to have people say, you know, somebody spoke, another brother or sister spoke that to me. You see, the world will give all kinds of mixed messages. 
but we have opportunities to give truth to others and to give that truth continually to others. So they're speaking the same thing, God's word, truth, God's wisdom. In verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. So it's interesting in verse 33, he, he groaned in his spirit. It literally means that, that he was agitated in his spirit. He was troubled in his spirit. Why was he troubled? Is he thinking that, oh, I waited too long. I shouldn't have stayed out there in the, you know, Jordan Valley out there in the wintertime where it's warm and kind of taking it easy and catching some rays out there. He, he's not thinking that. Uh, I should have, you know, should have come immediately. But I believe here that Jesus is groaning. He's troubled in his spirit because he sees again the effects of sin that has come into the world. The tyranny of Satan that caused Adam and Eve to fall in the garden. And as a result, sin and death came into the world. Isn't that what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 12? That therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all of us have sinned, Jesus' spirit was troubled, agitated. He, he was angry in his spirit because of sin, because what sin does, because it brings death. The consequences of sin on mankind, as Paul writes, that death spread to all men. So verse 35, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse of the Bible. And the Lord weeps in his heart at what sin has done to this world, the death that it brings. But praise God, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. As Paul would write in chapter 5, verse 18 of Romans, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. That is Adam. Even so, through one man's righteous act, that is Jesus, the last Adam, the free gift, salvation has come, is available to all men, justifying and justification of life. That's the good news. That's the good news, that you and I have life because of our belief in Jesus Christ. He said, I am singularly and uniquely the resurrection and life. And life doesn't come eternal life through any other means, any other person. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to stop here as we're going to see that next week Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead as he brings life to Lazarus. But also, it would be eternal life that would come to this family because they believe in the one who's the resurrection and the life. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time in your word and a familiar story that, that we look at and we've read perhaps many times, some of us. But, Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be a story or just theology, but it would be reality that we can rejoice here today because Jesus, the one whom we believe in, the one that went to Calvary's cross and died for our sins, the one who rose from the grave after three days, is alive, and it is through Jesus that we have life everlasting, coming by faith. And Lord, we don't have to fear death because we know that even though this body will wear out, that Lord, that we will live forever. We shall not die, as Jesus said, but have the life of life, have everlasting life. So, Lord, thank you. 
And my prayer is if, that, if there is anyone here this morning that you've never surrendered your heart and life to Jesus and come to him, that the message of God's word is this, so you clearly understand that all of us have sinned. And because of that sin, we've fallen short of God's standard. We cannot be justified before God. No matter how good you try to be, it's not good enough. None of us are good enough. How religious you might try to be. Jesus came and died for you specifically, for your sins. A sacrifice was made by the Son of God who shed his blood for you on that cross because he loves you just as he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And just as he loves all of us in this room, he knew that you would be here on this Sunday morning. And he says, I love you and I died for you. And I went to the cross and was put into a grave and rose again. I conquered sin and death that you might have everlasting life. And the Bible says that everlasting life comes by believing in him. It comes by repenting. That word simply means quit going the direction you're going. The world isn't going to save you. You can't save yourself. Maybe you're here and maybe there's somebody here thinking, well, I've messed up so badly. I've sinned so badly. Jesus will forgive you if you come in faith and turn to him. He died for every single one of your sins. And whosoever believes in him, you are whosoever, may have everlasting life. Will you come to him this morning? Because it is appointed once for us to die. Life will end. And even though Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead, he's going to go through that process of death again. But we'll live because of his faith in Jesus Christ. We'll see Lazarus in heaven. And you, your life will end. And then comes the judgment. And know this, that Jesus took the judgment for you. So that you can come in faith and have the promise of eternal life. Today is the day of salvation. Will you call upon the name of the Lord right now? And you pray, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me. I believe that you went to the cross and you hung on that cross and bore my sins. And I thank you. I believe also that you rose from the grave and that you're alive, knocking on the door of my heart. And I now open my heart to you and ask that you would make my personal Lord and Savior. I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. And thank you for dying for me. And I do believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Sit on the throne of my heart, O Lord, and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if anybody prayed that prayer this morning, will you just put your hand up and put it back down? Anybody at all for the first time? Okay. We give this opportunity for people here in our services to just come to Christ because I don't want to just assume that everybody's saved here. But it's an opportunity. Anybody at all here this morning? Okay. Father, I thank you that for this time we've had in your word this morning. And I pray you bless everyone here. And just as that devotion of Mary affected and 
touch the hearts of many people that we be in the light for you as we go out of this place that we would touch the hearts of, of many around us and Lord that we would be a witness of you the resurrection and the life so Father bless our time as we go our way be with us and again may we know that you're working and you see us Maybe perhaps we're thinking there's a delay, but there isn't. Lord, you're working in your perfect timing, and we can trust in you. We trust you with our salvation. We can trust you with our lives now. So, Lord, establish us and bless us and encourage us and strengthen us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.